A lot of airports are built near water, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for this. First off, most airports are located in big cities, and big cities are usually built near some form of water anyway. Back in the day, before trucks and proper roads were built, goods were transported by ship. Having a river or ocean nearby was vital to deliver essential supplies to the cities, like food and building supplies. It also allowed for trading to boost the local economies. Because most people travel into big cities for business and holidays, rather than rural areas, it made sense to build the airports there. The high demand for travel meant that the airports were needed and also made them profitable. But that's not the only reason they're built near water. Big cities are usually super crowded, and airports require a lot of land. Imagine trying to find a space big enough in the middle of New York City to put an airport. It would be basically impossible. Areas next to water are usually a bit more rural, so there's more space than the big cities filled with skyscrapers. Some countries have even taken this one step further. Land is really scarce in Japan, so to build Kansai International Airport, the architects of Osaka headed three miles offshore to Osaka Bay to make a man-made island. The artificial island is 13,200 feet long and 8,500 feet wide. That's so big that it can even be seen from space. It took a whopping 38 months to complete, and travelers can get across to the main island of Honshu via car, railroad, or high-speed ferry. Kansai International Airport opened in 1994 and became the world's first airport to be built on the sea. Despite its location, it has the longest airport terminal in the world with a length of just under one mile. Airplanes also can't have any obstacles around them when landing. It would be really difficult to try landing a plane with obstructions. These include trees, mountains, buildings, and power lines. Over water, nothing will restrict planes from taking off or landing making it much safer. On mountainous islands, runways are often parallel to the ocean, as the mountains are inland, just like in the Grand Canaria Airport, located on one of the Canary Islands. It also links to safety reasons. If a plane has to cancel a runway landing and go back around again, there must be enough room for it to do this safely without hitting anything. It's also got to be able to climb back up into the air at a safe angle to avoid causing problems for the passengers inside. Reaching this safe altitude is much easier, quicker, and safer by the sea, compared to big cities or mountainous areas. Speaking of failed landings, pilots are trained to deal with engine failure on takeoff. If a plane reaches the right speed for takeoff, it has to leave the runway, even if the engine fails. But don't worry, planes can still fly with only one engine, it just requires a bit more effort. Because of the reduced capacity, it takes longer to reach the right altitude, and more space is required for takeoff. Taking off towards the ocean makes it easier to climb to a safe altitude without worrying about colliding with any obstacles. Another reason for airports being built at water level is that the higher up we go, the thinner the air becomes. It causes the thrust of the engines to decrease, as well as the lift produced by the wings. Setting off from higher areas means it's more difficult for the planes to take off. In terms of money, this would mean building longer runways, which would cost more, and no one wants that. This also means the planes require less fuel as they don't burn as much energy on takeoff. And there's less noise made as the planes don't have to work as hard. But despite this making the planes less noisy, airports are going to have pretty high noise levels. Imagine hearing planes zooming over your house while you're trying to get sleep at night. 
This is a key reason why airports are usually built on the coast far away from any residential areas, as fish aren't generally known to file noise complaints. In some countries, airports actually have to provide upgrades for nearby houses that will be affected by the noise. Germany is one of these countries, and they do everything from improving roofs to adding wall insulation to cover all that noise. Building by the coast means that they don't have to pay up for all these expensive upgrades, which saves the airport lots of cash. Coastal areas also have weather advantages for flying. Sea breezes are steady winds that blow from the water to the land. Planes mostly land and take off with the wind, making it the perfect place to build an airport as there'll be no delays caused by unexpected strong winds. But while the sea breezes that come in spring and summer are great, Areas near water can be prone to fog during fall and winter, so this part has its pros and cons. But not every airport is on the coast, as it does also pose a number of issues too. One of the biggest is birds. Our feathered friends love the coast because of all the yummy fish, but they can cause big problems for pilots. But airports manage to get around this using scare tactics. Birds don't really enjoy noise, and planes aren't the quietest of things. Airports also make loud bangs and even train hawks to take down birds that are in the way. It seems strange that a commercial jet doesn't have keys to turn it on, but it's a bit more complicated than just turning a key. Instead, there's a series of buttons and dials on the control board that starts the complicated process. A battery provides the power to the aircraft that is charged through a small electric generator within the jet's tail. Airflow gets in and moves into the jet's engines to keep them cool. A reserve power then warms the turbines by turning them slowly until they start spinning at the right rate. Then, the engines can be turned on, one at a time. With up to four engines on a commercial jet, this entire process can take up to 90 minutes. Planes don't have keys to lock the doors either, but when they sit idle, jets have security guards constantly monitoring them. But even if someone happened to get past them, it wouldn't be a quick getaway. When you enter the plane, the captain keeps a close eye on the boarding process. They are not only in command of the flight deck, but also of the passenger's cabin. To become a commercial pilot, you gotta have a distance vision of at least 20-20. But depending on the airline, it's sometimes okay if your perfect vision is assisted with glasses. It's time to find a seat on the plane. You checked in late, and you've already had an unpleasant experience of not getting on your flight like that in the past. This is because airlines purposely overbook their flights, just in case there are no-shows or cancellations. So, you didn't get to choose your seat this time. You walk past the front seats in jealousy. There are seats that are always taken much faster because everyone wants to leave the plane as soon as possible after it lands. But if you're choosing safety over early departure, the back is the place to be. It's estimated to be 40% safer in the rear end of the plane. prefer to drive instead of flying? The chances of something dangerous happening to a plane during a flight are 1 in 11 million. Compare it to the likelihood of a car accident, which is 1 in 5,000. You've been placed at the emergency exit. Excellent! More legroom! Over the past 30 years, legroom has been decreasing more with every year. Up to 5 inches on some airlines. No, you haven't been getting taller. The reason behind this is the more people they're able to fit in, the more money the airline makes. Airlines don't build their own aircraft and use factory-made planes. From there, each airline will determine its own seating structure. 
This is also why the seats don't line up with the windows. But it doesn't matter, you have the best seat. Although it's always a bit concerning when sitting next to an emergency door. What if you accidentally knocked it while asleep and opened it? Relax, it's actually impossible to open these doors while flying. The air pressure inside pushes against every square inch of the cabin. On the door itself, this pressure equates to 1,000 pounds across every square foot of the door. But even if you somehow developed Hulk-like strength in your sleep, you still wouldn't be able to open it as there's a series of electrical and mechanical devices that latch it closed. The extra measures are important as the moment the door opens, the entire cabin temperature would quickly drop, and that drastic change in pressure would weaken the plane's structure. It's time for takeoff, and they've asked you to turn your phone off. Should you really? 10% of people have admitted that they don't turn theirs off and don't even set them to airplane mode. Cell phones can cause issues, but they don't disrupt the electronics as you might believe. There is a genuine concern that while you're flying in the air, your phone can receive signals from multiple towers on the ground, providing stronger distractions for the pilots. So let's make their job a little easier and turn it off. The plane has reached 40,000 feet, your ears have popped, and the seatbelt sign is turned off. The flight attendant walks down the aisle with their arms held outward. Within such a thin passage, they walk this way as it helps with their balance. They try to avoid disrupting passengers, so they don't use the headrest of the seats. And in case of sudden turbulence, there are special grabbing spots under the overhead luggage bay. It's estimated that half a million people are flying in the sky at any given time. So right now, you're part of that special group involving 0.1% of the world's population. You look out to the darkness and can't even see the clouds as you're cruising above the ocean. You notice that the flight attendant is asking everyone to shut the shades on the windows, including yours. The reason is that they want the passengers to be comfortable with the lighting. If an emergency happens, it'll take your eyes more time to adjust if there is light coming from the outside of the plane and the inside. If a power outage happens and the shades are shut, it'll be easier to act since your eyes are adjusted to the surroundings. Every second counts during times like this. Passengers are asked to leave the shades open during takeoffs during the day. And during a day flight, the cabin crew also asks passengers to leave the shades open so that the natural light outside illuminates the plane's interior. Now, there has never been an incident in history where a phone's signal interference caused any problems during a flight. The idea is that when you're thousands of feet in the sky, your phone signal will bounce off different towers and the signal will get more powerful. This normally won't be a problem in mid-flight when the pilots aren't doing much work. The real concentration and critical moments are during the landing and the takeoff. The phone signals will just flood the networks on the ground, which will make the pilot's job just a little bit more annoying. Now, it seems to bother you that the windows on the plane are so small given the improved technology over the years. The windows on airplanes are so small relative to the size because they need to maximize the hull between them and increase the strength of the frame. The overall frame over the plane is actually at its strongest if there aren't any windows at all. Metal fatigue occurs over time, originating at the weak points of the plane. The bigger the windows, the weaker the frame. You lift the shades just to take a peek outside. You're so far from the ground, it looks like you're actually closer to space than Earth. 
But you're only 7% the distance from where astronauts go. Planes can technically go higher than that, but they can't because it won't be good for the passengers and the crew members. Planes can sometimes cause lightning storms during a cloudy flight. But don't worry, you're safe. The static creates lightning whenever a plane passes through, and it can strike while it's moving. But over the years, technological advancements improve the quality of airplanes. The electrical current of lightning is distributed throughout the aluminum structure so that it doesn't affect the controls. Some people start panicking on the flight. All the windows are shut because the flash of lightning is disturbing for many people who are trying to sleep. One person panics a little too much and tries to open the exterior door in mid-flight. Well, this is almost impossible to do because of internal pressure. You'd have to be a superhero to open it up. The plane exits the cloud cluster back into normal sky. The flight attendants are bringing out some dinner. You pull out your tray and wipe it clean. It's reported that this is the dirtiest part of the plane. Nope, not even the toilet. After cleaning it, they serve some chicken and little veggies on the side. The smell is incredible, but when you take a bite, it somehow doesn't taste as good. It's because the difference in air pressure and the low humidity alters your taste buds, especially the sweet tooth part and the salty buds. Only a few hours left until you arrive at your destination. You wake up, and the flight attendants ask you to put on your seatbelt and tuck in your tray. The plane lands and parks. You're the last one out and make your way to the baggage claim. The conveyor belt rotates, but you don't see your bags. When flights lose your baggage, there's a pretty good chance that they're still in the location where you traveled from. Occasionally, they can end up on other flights due to human error. The flight agencies can recover your luggage if you file that they're missing. You read the signs on the flight destination screen showing the arrivals and departures. These signs are written in three specific fonts so that people can read them from afar while walking. As you continue walking, you stare out into the large window panels. These windows are made of special material. It makes you feel like you're closer to your plane than when you look through regular ones. You notice they're driving the bags to the planes for loading and refueling them before takeoff. They fill up the planes with just enough fuel to take them to their destination, rather than pumping them with a little extra. That's because they need the planes to be as light as possible, since fuel is heavy. Hey, you've got the wrong person! I'm just a manager going back home from my annual vacation in Europe! The TSA agent pulls out a massive chunk of delicious French cheese from your hand luggage. Turns out, you can only grab really small amounts of soft cheese on board, since it's considered to be liquid. Fun fact, you can bring a cheese grater on board without any problems, but you can grate no more than 3.4 ounces. That's the maximum cheese amount. Wait, you can't grate it. Cheese should be safely sealed in a plastic bag. Good news, hard cheese is fine to travel with. Okay, they took your cheese. A large bottle of water, you're bad. Some cream tubes and other fancy souvenirs. Look at that fine Swiss knife you grabbed in Geneva. It now risks ending up in an auction. If you're lucky enough, the airport might provide a shipping service to get your precious souvenirs and even cheese, if it doesn't go bad, to your home for a fee. Still, not all the airports do this. So, some of the banned items will go to an auction to raise money. The confiscated items are usually sold in bulks, so it's going to be pretty hard to find the ones that you had to leave behind. 
Some other objects with more specific purposes are donated to different organizations. A uh, pepper spray, for instance, would go to a police training academy. As for cheese, prohibited exotic fruits, and other food and water, well, they usually just get disposed of. Some items, especially really bad and dangerous ones, may be simply melted or destroyed. Magic 8-balls pose no danger, but they have to be checked in luggage. The problem is the liquid inside them. Yeah, it might be less than 3.4 ounces, but let's face it, it's hard to count the exact amount. Ask your ball if you can take it on board. It's likely to give you a don't-count-on-it answer. Relieving gel insoles are a bit disturbing on board. The problem is the same. It's impossible to count the exact amount of liquid. So, no gel insoles and no gel candles either. Perfume and nail polish are kind of forbidden too. It's not only about liquid on board restrictions, but also about etiquette rules. Some passengers may simply be allergic to their smell. Plus, they're flammable. As for nail polish removers, opt for an acetone-free version, since acetone is a no-go for hand luggage. Anyway, you can grab a bottle of perfume, as long as it's not too large and you don't use it on board. It would be a pity to leave a whole bottle in the trash bin before boarding. Still, you can sneak in the plane with more than 3.4 ounces of your favorite cream, claiming it's some medicine that you really need. But you do need to notify the airport beforehand. A bit weird, but it works. Sometimes. In case you need to check your body temperature on board, make sure your thermometer is electronic. Mercury ones are strictly forbidden. Who's going to pick up all the mercury balls if you accidentally drop it? Bowling pins are a no-go for hand luggage. Seems like the air crew doesn't want anyone to have fun and play bowling in the aisles during a long and boring flight. No, it's all about our safety. They just think bowling pins might hurt someone. No sports equipment is allowed, be it a fencing foil, a bat, or even darts. Darts are sharp, and no sharp objects are allowed on board. Such items should travel in check-in luggage, unless you want them to end up in an auction. If you're into handmade things, and a transatlantic flight gives you enough time to knit a scarf or a pair of socks, opt for plastic or wooden knitting needles and wrap them carefully so as not to cause any damage. Those made of metal will probably be disposed of by melting, and they don't deserve such a fate. Snow globes, as with any other object containing liquid inside, aren't allowed through security. If your snow globe is as small as a tennis ball, you may be lucky to have it allowed, but it's better to play it safe and check the snow globe in. Liquid bleach is definitely a weird object for hand luggage, even if you're traveling in a white shirt. First, it's not allowed on board because it's highly flammable. Second, a brand new white shirt doesn't seem to be the right choice for a flight. <laughs> Coffee and turbulence just don't mix. Third, the bathroom on board is far too small for laundering. If you're a hairdresser on a business trip, you'll probably have to invest a bit more when booking your flight. No hair bleach is allowed on board. Scissors aren't welcome either, unless their blades are 4 inches or shorter. By the way, scissors that aren't allowed to fly are often donated to schools, which is a good alternative to disposing them. Bad news for hairdressers again. Due to a gas cartridge that's filled with butane, cordless curling irons aren't allowed on board. Good news, electric curling irons are completely fine and safe. If you're an artist, you must have already struggled with security rules. You don't want your paint to get frozen or ruined in the luggage section, so you'll surely want to bring it on board. Security may be okay with your oil paints, as long as they're under 3.4 ounces, but there's no way you can grab your extremely flammable turpentine. Now, in case you don't enjoy food on a plane and failed to order a meal on board beforehand, you can take any pan or pot on board and cook it yourself. No, you can't cook, and you can't grab a cast iron pan either. They're quite heavy. 
That's why they're likely to be dangerous. If a TSA agent confiscates it, it won't end up being donated to a local kitchen. It'll probably be melted. That's it for today. So hey, if you pacified your curiosity, then give the video a like and share it with your friends. Or if you want more, just click on these videos and stay on the bright side.